If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 1. Uh, we are nearing the end of our Gospel of John series uh, at Central. We've been in this series for kind of four springtimes, and we are almost there. We've got three more messages left, and um, we're in 21 today. Um, there was a Marvel movie again this week. If, uh, yeah, yeah, some of, some, hands up if you saw it. Anybody see it? Okay, so a few of you did. I did. Uh, I will admit I was geeking out about this new Avengers movie for like a couple of weeks, okay? There's a new Avengers movie. I think it's like Avengers 18 or something like that. There's, there's like tons of these Marvel movies. If you have been hiding under a rock for 10 years, uh, you don't know that Marvel Comics has been making a lot of movies over the last 10 years. They're all connected. There's like, I think there's like 18, 18 fans, something like that, 20, something like that. And they're all connected to each other. They tell all these different stories and they've been weaving together this big, long story to get to this final kind of two-part Avengers thing. Um, and it, part one came out this last week and it's going to be like the biggest box office movie ever. And, um, and they've been weaving together these movies. And if you guys know anything about Marvel movies, you know that after you watch the movie, you do not move. You, you sit there during the, the credits, which are like forever, by the way. And you wait because there's always a last scene. They always bring this extra scene into the movie to like connect you to the next movie. Just, you know, it's totally like a like a money grab, right? Like they're just like trying to get you excited about the next movie. They call it an epilogue. An epilogue is something that a writer, an author, a storyteller uses to tie up a loose end earlier in the story that they didn't tie up or bring the, for the story forward to, uh, to the next thing and to get you excited. So Marvel has mastered that. And in John's Gospel... This morning, we are going to get to read an epilogue. It's the last scene at the end of the movie. Because if you were with us last week, you would remember that in chapter 20 of John, it ends masterfully, like it, it's an ending. John says, here was the reason I wrote this gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and then he ends it. But then there's a whole other chapter. You're like, well, what's that about? Because there's a loose end in John's mind that he wants to tie up. None of the other gospel writers have tied up this loose end, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but John wants to do it. And it's this, whatever happened to Peter? You remember Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times after following him for three years, who's his closest disciple, leader of the other 12. He denied Jesus. What? Whatever happened to that? Or more precisely, how did Peter go from denying Jesus to being one of the greatest leaders again in the early church in the book of Acts? So again, they all deal with Peter's denial. All four gospel writers talk about Jesus or talk about Peter denying Jesus those three times, but only John gives us a tying up of that loose end. 
So that's what we're going to look at this morning is John's epilogue. We're going to look at this epilogue over the next three weeks. This is just part one, okay? So if you've got a Bible, John 21.1, and here we go. Here's what it says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had been stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The apostle Peter uh, had failed in a major way. It was a crushing experience for him. An episode of monumental failure and shame. And Jesus warned that it would happen, but Peter didn't believe it. But then when it did, Peter ran away and he wept bitterly. He felt the sting. In this encounter on the beach, we see that even as Peter ventured to go back to what he was good at, fishing, he again faced frustration. Nothing was going well for Peter. Peter's problem had been self-reliance, self-dependence. And after his initial call to follow Jesus, Peter, he had many ups and he had many downs. But over the course of the three years that he journeyed with Jesus, I think Peter began to feel an inflated sense of importance. I'm one of the 12 inner circle guys with Jesus. In fact, I'm like the leader of these guys. I'm an apostle. 
God's given me gifts and abilities to do amazing. I walked on water. None of the other guys did that. Peter began slowly to trust more and more in himself. And maybe you can relate to that this morning. Maybe Peter's story feels a little bit like you at times as a follower of Christ. Many of you can remember when Jesus called your name. Started, you started to follow him. You became aware of your sin, but of his love. And you stopped trusting in yourself, and you, you started a journey with Jesus. But somewhere along the path, you've stopped trusting him in some area of your life. You've hit a wall. You've had a defeat. You're frustrated in your walk with God. And you wonder, ah, man, can God still use me? Maybe I should just go back to what I did before. Can God forgive me? Can he restore me? Perhaps you're desperate again for Jesus to make himself known to you in a fresh way. You know all the answers, but you just need a touch from him. If you're anything like Peter, this story's for you. Because right in the middle of Peter's failure, his frustration, his self-reliance that he had had, Jesus appeared on the shore. John tells us three times that Jesus revealed himself to Peter and the disciples. John is showing us that this is a story about Jesus revealing himself to us in the midst of our failure, our frustration, our shame, our self-reliance. Jesus wants to call us back to some things this morning. And here they are, three things we're going to look at. Number one, to come back to our first encounter. Number two, to come back to our first love. And number three, to come back to fellowship. So let's just work through the text and we'll, we'll identify these as we go. Here's what it says again at the beginning. Uh, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, Tiberias is another name for the Sea of Galilee. So they're in Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, they're all together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Peter was a fisherman. Peter wanted to go fishing. That's what Peter was good at. And after such a crushing experience, wouldn't wouldn't you want to go back to what you were good at? Peter figures, ah, I might as well just stick to this because I can't go back. He won't accept me. The other disciples follow along. This shows that Peter still is an influential person. We'll go with you, Peter. They're willing to go with him. Yet as they go out, Peter and his disciples catch nothing. Despite all their efforts, their experience as fishermen, their skill, their familiarity with the terrain, they come up empty-handed. See, Peter's a, Peter's a guy who tries really hard. He's always wanting to take care of things himself. Peter figures if he can just put enough effort in, he'll be successful on his own. 
Part of this is admirable, of course, in Peter. Peter's not afraid to take risks, even to fail at times. And because of this, Peter does succeed. And some of his successes are great. But when he fails, he fails hard. Uh, one time, Peter was on a mountain with Jesus, and Jesus like went white, like a, like a lightning bolt. And they're just like, bah! And Moses and Elijah show up. Like, talk about a holy moment. Like, this has never happened. And instead of just, you know, shutting his mouth and just, wow, Peter has to open his mouth and say, hey, let's build some tents. And then all of a sudden, like, this voice comes over in a cloud and it's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I mean, Peter, Peter's always just saying things or trying to do things or trying to take over the situation. When Jesus said to his disciples for the first time, I'm going to die, guys. They're going to kill me. Peter's like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. I'll tell you what the plan is. Jesus looks at him and is like, Satan, <laughs> get, get back there, Peter. Go back to, go back. <laughs> when Jesus was arrested, Peter's the guy who just takes his sword. He's like, no, you're not going to arrest him. And he chops the guy's ear off. I mean, he's just always trying to take control of the situation. He tries really hard but he doesn't trust very well. But this is getting ridiculous, right? I mean, he's a fisherman. Like, he can't even fish? Like, I, can't, I, th I thought it was good at this. this. This isn't God's plan for Peter. Jesus has a plan for him. Here's what it says. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered, No. He said to them, cast, cast your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. The, the word that he uses, uh, Jesus, when he calls out, he says children. Some other translations have friends. It's actually a colloquial expression, like, you know, a, an expression for that area where they would just say, like, hey, boys. Hey, guys. Or if you're an Aussie, it'd be like, hey, mates. Hey, mates. Got any fish? I don't know if that was an Aussie accent. That might have been British, but. Also, the question Jesus asked, do you have any fish? It's a little clouded in the ESV. Some other translations have, haven't you any fish? Or, you don't have any fish, do you? That's what he's asking. Jesus knows. Hey, guys, you haven't caught anything, have you? He's setting them up. He knows the answer. He's trying to say to them, ah, oh, you guys, you're not getting it, are you? Your self-sufficient efforts aren't getting you very far, are they, boys? You haven't caught anything, have you? You want to be effective? Jesus is going to show us how. Jesus tells him, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And as soon as Jesus says that, Peter's mind, he would have remembered. He would have remembered, wait a sec. I've been here before. Jesus is doing something here. It's just brilliant. He's taking Peter back to his first encounter with him. 
when Simon Peter first encountered Jesus, it was under similar circumstances in Luke chapter 5. Peter was in his boat. There was a crowd of people following Jesus. And then Jesus just was like, hey, jumped in Peter's boat. Said, let's go out. Peter just got back from a whole night of fishing where he caught nothing. And then Jesus said to Peter, hey, let your net down in the water. So here's Peter's response in Luke 5, verse 5. Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that it began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Get away from me. I don't know who you are. I am a sinful man. He and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. And he called Peter to follow him. And that's how it all began. See, what John, the gospel writer, is doing in his epilogue is he's going back and he's showing us that when we fail as disciples, due to our self-sufficiency, our trusting in our efforts, Jesus wants to bring us back to where the journey began. What was Peter's lesson then? What does he need to be reminded of now? In a word, fear. Fear. Not the kind of fear that makes us run from God, the kind of fear that makes us drop to our knees <laughs> in awe of who this God is. Peter had lost that. Jesus wants him to remember. Remember, Peter? Remember who's in control, buddy. Remember what I can do. You see, when we truly encounter Jesus, when the lights go on and we truly see who he is, we're struck with fear and awe. We become aware of our sin in light of his greatness and his holiness. But then we hear Jesus also say, don't be afraid. I've got a job for you. Jared Wilson, in his book, The Imperfect Disciple, it's a great book, he helps us understand one of the current difficulties we have in our culture with cultivating a sense of fear and awe of God. Here's what he says. He says, I think one reason we are not captivated by Christ's glory is because we have a diminished capacity to be captivated by anything big. We're preoccupied with small things. And in fact, we somehow have an inverted sense of measurement in that big things to us seem small or familiar. Small things seem big to us. It is the funhouse mirror effect of living in a consumeristic culture where we are inundated with all kinds of media, and now we even carry that media around in our pockets. Once I took my daughter and her friend shopping at a local outdoor mall, I dropped them off and then went to the coffee shop 
in one of those big chain bookstores. I read a little bit from a book, and I confess I looked at my phone a little bit. But when I looked up, I felt self-conscious because everyone else was looking at their phones. I decided to just sit there and think. I did some people watching, which you have all done, haven't you? People watching is fun. I did some people watching. I drank my coffee, but I kept my head up and my mind active. I did that for about an hour. And when my daughter and her friend finally found me, my daughter walked up and said, you look weird. <laughs> Why? I asked. Because you're just sitting there. Apparently just sitting there looks weird now. <laughs> it was a strange sight to her to see someone sitting out in public who was just, who was not looking at a screen. She thought, in fact, it seemed a little creepy that I was just sitting there. But until we learn to simply sit there, be still, be settled, to look at the great big world around us, to consider with wonder all this incredible, these incredible humans made in God's image, we will constantly be in a state of spiritual myopia and spiritual boredom. When our vision is constantly occupied by small things, we are tempted to yawn more at the glory of God. Look, along the path of following Jesus, it's easy for us to take for granted the fear of the Lord. We begin to feel we're pretty special or we're caught up in small things. We lose a sense of God's grandeur. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 Fearing God does not mean that we live our lives afraid of God. The fear of God is the fear that casts out all other fear. It's a respect, a reverent awe to realize his greatness, the greatness of the one who calls us into his service. He is the God who told a rooster what to do on Peter's third denial. And he's the God who speaks to even the fish and tells them where to jump. If you've been walking with your chest out lately, <laughs> Jesus invites you to come back to fearing him, to beholding him. Because when we do, we're able to see his great love for us. He is for us. He's calling us not to be afraid. He's on our side. With him, we will do all things. That's what Jesus is doing for Peter. He's bringing him back to that place. And here's what else he's doing. He's calling him to trust and obey. This is the second thing. Jesus called out to the boys. He said, hey, guys, put your nets down on the right side of the boat. Now, you've got to imagine, for us, we read that and we think, man, they must have been annoyed. Like, I mean, you're fishing all night. You don't catch anything. Some random dude shows up on the shore, and he's like, hey, did you guys try the other side of the boat? Like, duh, yes. They've been swim. They've been doing it on both sides, okay? Like, that would be so frustrating, right? It makes me think of this experience I had where um, a few years ago at a church I was working at, we had these summer interns, and um, they were, uh, one of them, we'll call her Intern One, she, I, gave her a, uh, I gave her an assignment. I was like, hey, can you make a poster for this upcoming event we're doing for the kids and stuff? And, and she's like, yeah, okay, I'm on it. So she starts working on this poster, and she's in there for a couple of hours in this room working on it. And uh, intern number two, this uh, friend of mine, he, 
he, he's in there working beside her. And I go up to intern number one, and, I, and she's like, hey, what do you think of this? I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's nailing it. And while I'm talking to her about the poster that she made, intern number two, he starts making his own poster in like two minutes. And he goes, hey, is it, do you want something like this? And I look at his poster, and I'm like, yeah, that's it. And intern number one said to me, I feel like swearing. She just worked on this poster for hours. And here's this guy showing her up. I mean, it comes off like that a little bit, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we know where to fish, dude, on the shore. See, we think maybe that's what they would have reacted like. But like I said, that's not probably how it went down. When Peter heard those words and the disciples heard those words, it would have echoed familiar in their minds. And so probably suspicious that, hey, this could be him. They say, all right, we'll let down the nets. And through their simple obedience to Jesus' word, they become effective. Jesus is showing that without him, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do great things. This is what Peter had forgotten. We cannot hope to be effective if we're working in our own strength and not in his strength. It's through hearing Jesus' word and trusting it and obeying it that God will move. God will do the work. We obey. Jesus catches fish. The fish in the story signify God's kingdom work. This isn't about like having truckloads of money or something. God will bless you with all this abundance of money. Maybe he will. But really, the fish signify the kingdom work that God wants his disciples to do. We have a role to play, but we can't do this kingdom work on our own. It takes Jesus' word to be effective and our obedience to that word. The question for any disciple of Jesus is, do we obey his word? Do you obey what Jesus has called you to do? If you've been a Christian for a long time, you might feel like, well, you know, I've graduated from being a follower. Like, I'm a leader now. Like, you don't know how important I am in life, in my work, in whatever. I'm a leader. Yeah, you might be. Great. But we're always still followers. We don't graduate from being students of the master. I think Peter forgot that. Jesus says, come back. Do what I say, Peter. Listen to my word. So let me test this out with you. When God's word says to parents, bring up your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord, do you think, ah, man, I don't have time for that. Like we're, we're going to soccer and hockey and we got, to, we got all these other things to do. I'll, I'll let the church take care of discipling my kid. Or is your response, okay, Jesus, Show me how. I don't know how, but I'll do it. When God's word says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, do you think, oh, come on. Like, I mean, you don't know the guys I work with. They're, they're cussing all the time. You know, I got to cuss a little bit with them so I can relate to them. They'll actually think I'm a cooler Christian. Hey, that guy cusses. And like, he's a Christian. Cool. Maybe it's all good. Or do you think, okay, Jesus, I'll watch my mouth. <laughs> I'll do what you say. When God's word says rejoice, 
or submit. Or masters, stop your threatening your employees. Stop micromanaging them. Or be kind or be strong and courageous. Or test everything, hold fast what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. When God says pray or contend for the faith or love one another or keep yourselves free from love of money, what is your response? The point is not that obeying makes us more part of God's family. Any more than my children, obeying me more makes them more my children. That's not how it works. We're not trying to earn bonus points with God. But what's beautiful about this story is that John's inviting us to say, look, if you obey, that's what walking with Jesus is all about. He's going to move. and He's going to work through you. You obey, it shows you trust God to move. Secondly, John is wanting us to come back to our first love, our first love. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on and he, he stripped himself for work and, and he threw himself into the sea. The disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they had not been far off land. They were only a hundred yards off. And when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore all by himself, right? Full of fish. There's Peter again. And the net was not torn. This is Peter's Forrest Gump moment. If you guys have never seen Forrest Gump, hands up if you remember Forrest Gump. Anybody? Okay, sweet. Awesome. So I'm not totally crazy. So Forrest Gump was a great movie. It's like back, we're going to go back to the 90s, okay? So really big movie back then. Uh, Forrest Gump, of course, is this character who's developmentally slow. He goes and sits at this bus stop. He starts telling people about his amazing life. And one of the stories is how he went to Vietnam and he met this guy named Bubba, right? And Bubba was obsessed with shrimp. And so when Bubba dies, he says to Bubba, he's like, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll go buy a shrimp boat and I'll be a shrimp boat captain. And so he does. And then their lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan, he's like, hey, if you become a shrimp boat captain, I'll be your first mate thinking it will never happen. Well, of course, years later, Forrest goes and buys a shrimp boat and he can't catch anything. And then one day, he looks over on the shore and it's Lieutenant Dan. And he's there and Forrest cannot contain himself. He jumps off the boat and then just lets the boat crash into this dock, right? It's a classic scene if you've never seen it. And it's just so beautiful because you get this picture of like Forrest's love for this man. He's just so excited to see him. And that's Peter in this story. The other disciples, they bring the boat up. Peter's like, no, I'm going in. He just dives right in. He is excited to see Jesus. And then when there's a net there to haul in, Peter just hauls it all in himself. He's just like, again, it's Peter, right? He's just excited. His first love has returned. And that's why we love Peter. Peter loves Christ. He's not afraid to look a bit like a mess. And this is a beautiful picture of what it 
what it looks like to come back to our first love. Do you guys remember? Do you remember what it was like when you first started following Jesus? Maybe you've never made that decision yet, and that hasn't come, and I hope it does for you, and I hope it's exciting for you to fall in love with this Lord who saved you. We desire to be close to him, to love him, even if it means getting a little uncomfortable. Do you remember that? Do you remember what that was like? Jesus wants to reveal himself again so that you can experience that. One of the reasons I love working with kids is that they're just so full of joy and excitement. Um, you know, they're not, they're not like you guys, right? They're not super boring, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can tell though, right? When they leave this room, the, all the energy gets sucked right out. You guys feel that? I'm really insulting you now. But you, you know what I mean? That, that, the child, like there's just some, one of the best things about being a children's pastor is just seeing these kids show up on Sunday and they just, they run up to you and say hi and they're just excited and sometimes they give you a full body hug, right, with legs and everything. That's a childlike heart. Have you lost that for Jesus? Just like I'm excited about what God is doing in my life in the lives of other people. Maybe you can't see that right now. It's really hard. Ask him to do that work in you. That love can be rekindled. Lastly, come back to fellowship. Come back to fellowship. Here's what it says. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish You've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. John is a masterful storyteller. First, he brings us back to when Peter and Jesus first met on the Sea of Galilee in the boat. And now he brings us back to a charcoal fire. The last time we see a charcoal fire, it's the only other time it shows up in the whole Bible, is the night when Peter's warming himself at a charcoal fire when he denied him three times. John's recreating that scene. Jesus is recreating that scene. And he wants to redeem that place in Peter's life. Now that place that was filled with failure will be redeemed and Peter will be welcomed back into fellowship. Jesus has come have breakfast. We don't usually realize the significance of those words, but in this culture, it's very significant because in our culture today, we, we, we eat food really fast. Fast food, drive-through, we would just grab and go. And meals are not necessarily this like event thing. But in the first century, an invitation to breakfast like this is an invitation to fellowship. You, you invite people to a meal who you really want to know and you want to be associated with. You want to be friends with. 
Making meals in those days was done from scratch. It took a long time. So it was a big deal. And so you'd have to linger with the host. This is why it was scandalous that Jesus went over to Pharisees' houses for meals or other sinful people. It's why Jesus, it's why we're also warned as Christians that we shouldn't associate ourselves or have a meal with a brother or sister living in blatant habitual sin or a false teacher. It's not so much about the meal. It's about the fact that you're associating yourself with that person. He says, don't associate yourself with people like that. Here's Jesus saying to Peter and his disciples, come have breakfast. Come have fellowship with me. Whatever your failures as my disciples, Peter is obviously repentant. Jesus sees it. And he's like, don't live in shame, Peter. Come. I invite you back. You're always invited back. So what does that look like today? What does it look like to have fellowship and to feast with Jesus today? Two quick things. I'm going to use the imagery of the story. Fellowship with Jesus, first of all, is fellowship through his word. Um, this is a big book. Thank God. Thank God, because God has given us a feast in this book, not a morsel. God's word has feast upon feast for us. And that's to say nothing of all the books we could read that help explain this book, all the songs we could listen to that sing this book into our hearts. That's to say nothing of the living word of God that we can go out and experience and all that God spoke into being in nature, in the mountains and rivers. He's given us feast upon feast through his word. And the question is, will we stop? Will we linger there and have fellowship with him? Will we have fellowship with him? How do you view the Bible? Is it a dusty old book? <laughs> or is it a gateway into fellowship with Jesus? Is it a list of rules? Or is it food for your soul? Is it a snack or is it a feast? When's the last time you spent an hour just lingering with it, meditating on it, praying it through. God wants you to come back to that. There's lots of tools today that can help you as well. Do it when you're walking in other places. It's an amazing. We have so many amazing tools to do this. Are we doing it? It's only for our benefit. Secondly, fellowship with Jesus is fellowship with his people. As Jesus breaks bread at this meal on the beach, we're reminded of the communion meals we have as a church and other meals we share together in each other's homes as families and friends. Jesus calls us to commune with him and through the Lord's Supper when we're a gathered church and together in our homes. The church is the body of Christ here on earth. That means our fellowship is with one another, and that's how we experience. It's one of the main ways we experience our fellowship with Christ. Um, there's something about having a meal together. Here's what it says. Uh, this guy named Tim Chester wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus, and he said that there's been a 33% decrease in families eating together over the last 30 years, a 45% decrease in friends eating together. And then he comments, meals slow things down. 
Some of us don't like that. We like to get things done. But meals force you to be people-oriented instead of task-oriented. Sharing meals is the only way to build relationships. It's not the only way to build relationships, but it's certainly high on the list. The point is, if we failed, if we struggle with self-reliance, Jesus says, come back. Come back. Fellowship with me. Fellowship with my word, my people. Get together, eat together, sit, linger, have a meal with one another. Because guess what? That is what is coming. When Jesus returns, there's going to be a great feast. We'll all party together. Here's what Jesus says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So we're invited to that today. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for my friends here, Lord. Thank you that we can gather around your word this morning. God, thank you for this amazing story of how you are going to put Peter back together piece by piece. Thank you that there's two more parts. <laughs> And God, thank you that you want to put us together and you want us to come back to you. God, help us to fear you. Help us to trust you and obey you. Lord, help us to come back to our first love and help us to linger with your word and your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.